The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Right now, more likely than not, you're wearing something that you're not super proud of. All of us know that if we're in a piece that was a real deal at a fast fashion store or from a mass market brand, chances are labour, fabric or the environmental footprint is probably not something you really want to think about too hard. Clothing production is one of the biggest businesses in the world with some of the most harmful social and economic impacts that as a group we all kind of turn a blind eye to. Most people know more about the living standards of the chickens that make their eggs than the workers that make their clothes. But what happens when you stop blocking it out and start trying to do something about it? For today's guest, his journey of learning about trafficking, labour exploitation and environmental impact has led him to set up a factory in Cambodia, get B Corp status and change expectations around how denim can be produced. The company is Outland Denim that had a huge wave of publicity last year after the Duchess of Sussex wore a pair of the brand's jeans, leading to more than 40 new workers being added to the company. Founder James Bartle is in Auckland as he's launching a new line this week with Karen Walker, a collaboration that sees t-shirts, jackets, jeans and skirts made with signature Karen Walker elements by Outland's own team in Cambodia and using organic cottons and dyes joins us now in studio to chat the journey, the mission, and what we really don't know about the clothes we wear. Kia ora, good morning. Uh, g'day Simon, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for being in here. Hey, so tell me um, tell me how you came to, to know about this problem, because you were kind of the normal consumer of the world, and then what was the event that brought this idea of trafficking to you? Well, look, I mean, the very first thing was watching the, the movie Taken, the Liam Neeson film, and although fictional... Um, I left the movies at night feeling really, um, con- you know, I guess challenged on that this stuff was really happening around the world. I had some script at the end of the of the movie that suggested that these things are still occurring. And so I just remember leaving thinking I need to start some sort of vigilante and, you know, eradicate these horrible humans from the face of the planet. And my wife was very quick to remind me that I had uh, nowhere near the amount of combat skills that would be required. Um, <laughs> to be able to do anything of the sorts. And so we really started to research what the problem looked like. And we spent about two years in that in that phase of just, I guess, learning a little little more over time, and uh, which led to me having the opportunity to uh, travelling through Southeast Asia with a rescue agency. And it was upon that trip that I saw a little girl for sale. And, 
you know, it's not something that you can unsee when you see it. She was very obviously scared and intimidated um, by the situation she'd found herself in. And for me, it was um, it was a life-changing moment. And I still think about it. And I can still feel the emotion even of, of that experience. And um, I guess that's my driving force. And that led me to being able to look into a way to help these kinds of people, which, which um, I guess eventually led to understanding more a little bit about what fashion um, – could do to one solve the problem on the positive side, but on the negative side, the the how bigger contributor it was, I guess, to the environmental and social issues that we're facing on a global scale. That's really remarkable because I'm sure a lot of people leave all kinds of things, you know, uh, with a feeling of oh, well, that's that's not right in the world, and then they just go back to their their normal lives and they just kind of keep keep rolling on. What 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 were your next steps after? You know, because it's probably like Liam Neeson movies probably aren't the biggest contributor to NGO kind of uh, supporters. <laughs> like, what were your next steps after finishing that that movie? And how did you get in touch with people that meant that you were on a, a trip a couple of years later? Yeah, well, I was actually doing a freestyle motocross show. Um, and there was a rescue agency at a show um, that were looking for supporters and ambassadors. And um, it was there that I... Um, decided that I would go with them and see what they did and on that trips where everything changed for me and uh, you know one thing led to another I guess with our research and then the opportunities that would arose um, by starting to work with women that were vulnerable to all sorts of um, you know horrible things happening to them or already had happened to them and so on that journey of you know discovery into what the problem really looked like we started to formulate a business model that would combat this problem and to begin with, we started with those that had been exploited and then we, over time, grew into um, working with those that had already been exploited but then trying to get back to the root of it and to where people are vulnerable and try and prevent uh, anything horrible happening to people. And, you know, we learned that it was an economic problem. You know, these people were born into these situations by no fault of their own. Um, they needed to be able to, um, you know, have some sort of opportunity that would give them what they needed to have any chance at a different life for them or their families and their children. And so um, it became our mission to be able to start generating, generating, uh, I guess, uh, the, the, the tools, so to speak, uh, that they needed to be successful on their own. And I guess that's one of the keys in our model is that it's about them being successful and, and them having what they need to, to do it on their own, so to speak, um, versus us coming in like a charity and um, providing handouts where um, it just creates dependency. Tell me about that first journey because uh, I really want to get back to that idea of how you have set up this really long training scheme to mean that you're not just taking people that already know what they're doing and kind of giving them a job. You're, you're helping to create an industry there. But how do you actually go about building that out from the first instance? Like, So this is Cambodia and... Yeah. And yeah, what are the steps you go from from being on a trip and uh, not not being in the the rag trade, I guess, to next thing you know, uh, in a, in a you know, reasonably short period of time, yeah. now having a factory with heaps of staff making uh, jeans and selling them around the world in these great stores. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been it's been an incredible journey. We've actually been going for nine years. We spent the first six years developing the business model, and so the first steps were <laughs> very primitive. They were. Um, literally, we hired two two ladies that needed a job, and we started to 
give them training in, in the process of making jeans. And, you know, I still remember the very first pair that we made and I was so excited to try them on and they were just so terrible. You know, they, um, we were so far from having any idea of how to make a pair of jeans and just the detail that goes into it and the processes. And, uh, you know, but we just kept evolving. I mean, we were so driven because the need is so great. And we, uh, I guess, when you're surrounded by that need and you see it, you know, you know, in front of you every day, it's very difficult to um, turn a blind eye to it. And I and I guess that's one of the advantages is that that I've had over you know your your average you know New Zealander or Australian or whoever is that I got to see something that was quite uh, confronting. And so for me, it's easier to make those decisions uh, than for your average person leading this busy lifestyle. But that journey of those initial six years got us to a stage where we were able to prove that um, if a woman came into employment uh, in this scenario, that she would get herself out of poverty. If she got herself out of poverty, she was then able to completely change the lives of her family. Um, her children then, um, whether she had them or would have them in the future, had a completely different outlook on life than she would have had as a child. And so we started to realize that this was really powerful. I mean, we've got stories of women buying, uh, building ha- homes for their family and, um, you know, buying motorbikes. Or one, one of the girls that had built a home for her family that lived under a plastic sheet um, was also able to buy her sister back from um, a man that owned her, you know. And so um, to us, that probably sounds a little bit like a ne- Liam Neeson film, but this is reality and this is happening all the way around the world um, where... You know, predominantly women are being sold and trafficked um, for a range of different reasons, for labor or for sex. And um, our job is to be able to eradicate this. And what I get excited about is that business is what I believe will unlock the door to eradicating this problem. Um, And it's going to come through consumers being more aware of what they're buying and then using their purchasing power to be able to fight the problem. And it's not a donation. They're still buying the things that they want and love. But the the spin-off effect of this is that people's lives are being changed. People are being given security and a future as a result of just buying a beautiful pair of jeans. How did you go to spend that first six years building out the model, getting the support, putting all the infrastructure in place, like selling the dream? That, that's an enormous undertaking before selling a single thing. Yeah, well, look, we would make products, we'd sell them at markets, we'd test, we spent the time testing the market. How do people respond to story? How do they respond to product? And, you know, every time we got to a new level with our product, we thought we'd made it and then realized that we were so far from having made it. And I guess that's taught us that we've always got to continue to pursue this perfection in our product and the, the beauty in our product. And so, you know, I feel like that's a journey that you never get to the end of. But, uh, you know, those six years were really hard. They, um, I was running another business to help fund it. Um, we had lots of amazing people that would also make donations and buy our product and, you know, great support and network around us in our local community. But beyond that, uh, it, it was just, I guess, the, this image of this little girl that, that was so desperate and so scared that I could always see. And that's what dri- drove me to want to keep, keep going and keep going until we found a solution. And it wasn't until we launched our brand at the end of 2016 that we started to really sell products. And that was a, that was a, a you know, game change for us, although extremely difficult. You know, we, we started to experience amazing support from media and um, retailers. And, you know, we're only three years old now and we've just, 
had the most insane amount of growth and support um, due to lots of things. But I think the, the greatest contributor to this is it's people. People want to be involved in the solution. You know, we all want to have some purpose in our lives and we want to be able to help if we can. And this makes it easy. You don't have to make a donation. In fact, I say to people, if you don't like our jeans, don't buy them. Don't make a donation. Just, you know, if you love our jeans, buy them, you know. And I think that that's why we're having so much, um, so much influence right now. What was the state of the clothing industry in Cambodia where you were choosing to work? Because it's been quite a journey for you, like, in, in terms of not only the manufacturing side, uh, but also the, the environmental kind of footprint, so, so the labour, but also the kind of impact of the materials. Yeah, look, the landscape was um, pretty dire, actually, when I first went to Cambodia. Um, it was uh, a minimum wage was about 40 US dollars a month. Um, it meant that you're deeply entrenched within poverty. And so just by just by paying a living wage, which is only one aspect of what our business model entails, um, was a game changer. But as uh, the country has developed, um, you know, they have put a lot of structure in place around the garment industry and increased minimum wage. And so there's lots of positive things happening there, um, which is really exciting for us to see. But it's uh, there's still we're coming. I guess we're building on a deficit. You know, we've we're coming from behind and we need to be able to establish the skills and the, um, the infrastructure, I guess, that somebody needs within their life to be able to be successful. And I guess that's where our business model is so unique in that it's, it's not just doing what's right and fair. We have to go past that and do go beyond. And so that might mean education around things like finance, you know, so you might be earning more money than you've earned before. So how are we going to um, teach you to manage that. You'd know just as well as I do that, you know, if you've never learned to manage money and then all of a sudden you find yourself with a lot of it, you can find out that you can get into a worse position by having it than you did before because you didn't know how to manage it. So that's one really important lesson. Languages and healthcare and a range of different things that uh, are really important for these these ladies to be able to uh, get an education on is is what we exist to do. And then we're giving opportunities to these women that wouldn't get it otherwise necessarily. So they may have a disability. You know, we've got one lady there that just sent a message through only a few days ago um, and the difference that this job had made for her. But, I mean, she's only got one leg and she wouldn't get a job at a garment factory. She will always struggle. But in our workplace, she's a massive asset because we're prepared to invest into her. And if you invest into these people, they're exceptional. Um, you know, some of the some of the most crazy backgrounds that we've heard of stories of where these ladies have come from and to becoming managers and section leaders within our workforce has been, um, I guess, testament to the fact that if you if you give them what they need, they will win themselves. It's not really us coming in being the white saviour and saving the day, you know. Sorry about that. <laughs> Alex Casey from The Real Pod here. And this is Duncan from The Real Pod. We're here to, to tell you that as well as enjoying this podcast, you should also listen to ours. It's a reality television and real life in New Zealand podcast recorded every week. It's, 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 it's relevant. That's not relevant. It's <laughs> crazy. It's real. It's raw. It's three mates having a nice time and talking about the television. If you like popular culture, if you like celebrities, if you like reality TV, or if, even if you hate it all, have a listen. You might be surprised. Yeah, definitely if you hate it all. If you hate us, well, lots of ammo. It might be an issue. Lots Any, of ammo. The spinoff.co.nz, search RealPod, you might have a nice time. Maybe.
If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. You can pay what you want, but for just $8 a month, you'll receive a package that includes our first book. Check it out through the spin-off. And by instituting that kind of training and investment in building the skills, uh, that, that, that human capital is part of it. And then also, like I, I see from looking at the website, really interesting technology around trying to, because de denim, I mean, what are the things people might not know about just how, uh, yeah, how poisonous and yeah. how um, damaging a lot of the materials that go into most pairs of jeans yeah. are? And how we just, everyone's got a pair of jeans. And I wonder how many people actually know what the, what the impact of them are. Well, look, I certainly didn't. I didn't know how um, devastating to the environment genes were. And it was partway through this process that we started to learn about the, the challenges of producing uh, denim products. And, and that's due to, one, I mean, obviously, the cotton that's used in it. And so how is that growing and the amount of water that's used or not used in the process? Um, and, but, and the but, only way it gets cheaper is if it goes to Uzbekistan and it's slave labor picking it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, you yeah. know, So the social side of that is, is deeply connected. And I guess we came to the realization that you can't separate – um, this conversation around planet and people. And so for us, it became as important to be committed to the environment as it was the people that we work with. And so we talk about sustainability and, you know, sustainability isn't using organic cotton. It's not, hey, there's a reduction in water. That's one very small element. Sustainability needs to be spoken about in the, in the context of, you know, social and uh, environmental compliance. And the outcome of this is economic sustainability. And if we change our mindsets to being able to produce and run our businesses and our everyday lives where everybody wins, we start to see the outcome being that the planet and the people are respected and treated the way they should be. And then, and then they have economic sustainability, as do we. So um, this is a really important message that I guess that I'm passionate about um, talking about. But as far as the, you know, the things that people mightn't be aware about around denim production is it's going into a denim mill once the you know, raw materials have been harvested and um, they produce the fabrics and then it's the dyeing process. And so some of those chemicals that are used in the dyeing, so the color stays or whatever um, effect that they're going for in the fabric can be you know, highly toxic. And if you think about your skin as being the biggest organ on your body, um, it's, it's a little bit crazy that every day we sit stuff on it that is toxic potentially, you know. So for us, it became about using organic or vegetable dyeing processes so that we had the best process that's possible um, to be able to um, dye our fabrics. And then it goes across to Cambodia where our, um, our own facilities are. And the first one is our cut and sew facility. And that's where the majority of our staff work. So that's cutting out the patterns and sewing these jeans together. And then we send them into our finishing facility, which is where we've been able to adopt the latest state-of-the-art technology to be able to um, completely change the way um, denim is produced. And, and that's using like laser technology. So what that means is all the distressing you see on your jeans, whether it's holes or it's highlights, can be done with this laser machine, which means that there is zero water used in that process. Um, and then we go on to other technologies like eFlow technology, which uses like nanobubbles and mists it over the, the fabrics. And, and that's up to a 95% reduction in water. And so straight away with using these just these two processes, you've completely changed, um, you know, the outcome that we're seeing from producing denim. But then 
we're also using uh, the chemicals are used are organic chemicals. So we're not using anything that's toxic. And therefore, when that goes through the through the entire system, we reuse the water and that goes back into the system. And um, we're able to completely change the, the water outputs and we completely change uh, the the input of chemicals in the amount of chemical used, but then also the toxicity of it, um, meaning that we have a product when it comes out the other end, which people can feel the difference of as soon as they put it on their skin. They don't know what that is, but it's it's the kinds of chemicals used. It's the fact that it's organic cotton. It's softer. It's more beautiful. And it's been really important for us to talk about these issues um, right back, you know, three years ago, really, when we really started to dig deep into this side of things um, and go, we have to be committed to to creating changes. And we get to this stage and we go, but there's still areas to improve on. So our commitment as a brand is to continue to innovate and come up with new ways of being able to produce um, and process our products so that, you know, it is, you know, always remaining um, as the most sustainable product that's possible. The way that things got this bad is basically, you know, it's really interesting to look at. Basically, countries like Australia and New Zealand had homegrown industry, yeah. and then they, they put on all these regulations that said you need to pay workers a fair wage, and you need to environmentally manage all of the bleach that you bleach the cotton with before you put the indigo on, and indigo yeah. that you'd think is pretty cool is not that cool for humans. And and so we put all these regulations in, and then it became expensive. And then we just sent it overseas to these countries with no oversight, and then we just kept getting the clothes back and, and just kind of thought it was okay. And it's kind of amazing how little people have understood. And, I mean, what's the journey been like for you, kind of like helping to not only have to kind of like build out the infrastructure, but also the awareness about something that people are working pretty hard to ignore a lot of the time? Look, it's a it's a challenging space to work in because what we need to be able to do is um, encourage people into a better way of living with their, their you know, buying habits Uh we can't condemn people, you know, like we're all leading really busy lifestyles. We're all led into it in the same way. Um, no one wants to do the wrong thing. So I think we can all just go, okay, we all want to be doing the right thing. Now, how do we make it accessible for people to do that? And that's our job as a brand. You know, we can't put that onto the consumer and say, hey, you should only buy sustainable products. And therefore, um, you know, when you need to buy a T-shirt, it's going to take you, you know, a day of research and then you're going to have to order it and you're going to have to wait for a week to get it from wherever, you know, like – that's not okay. It's not acceptable as a brand to do that. So our job is to make it easy for people to be a part of this solution. And in fact, if we can make it easy, we've proven that people want to be on this journey. They want to be a part of it. And um, I think there's a little bit of a, a movement within the ethical fashion space or sustainable fashion space um, that that needs to probably take a little bit of a step back and say, hey, this is about encouraging people into this lifestyle versus um, condemning or making people feel bad for the choices they've made um, because we've all come from it um, and it's a journey and it's a progression of mindset, you know, and changing and understanding and being educated on it. Because at the end of the day, if we all really understood what we were contributing to by just partaking in what we now call traditionally manufactured fashion, um, we wouldn't do it. It's just that we're unaware of it. So again, education is key. And those moments that help it kind of bubble above the surface, like the Duchess of Sussex. Yeah. Like, you know, t t tell me about how that kind of helps what has been something that people who are aware, you know, they're aware. And there's a lot of people, like the, the kind of things that I always come back to are 85% of eggs sold are still um, barn eggs and not free range and the like. So you've got 15% of the market 
who who care a little about a little, yeah. you know. But yeah, the, yeah. the vast majority of the world, it's just not even a consideration because of cost and accessibility and lots of other issues. Um, but then there's these moments that help that kind of awareness bubble into the mainstream. And yeah, tell us about the Duchess of Sussex. Well, that was a pretty uh, crazy experience for us, to be honest. Um, she, I was actually, I just landed in Cambodia and I'd just woken up the next morning from arriving and my phone was um, going hot, like Instagram and emails and phone calls and people were just trying to get in touch and it's like, what is going on? And it turns out that, um, you know, Meghan Markle had jumped, hopped off an aeroplane. Um, I say jumped, but no one understands what I mean when I'm, when I'm somewhere else <laughs> and I'm with Kiwis understand what that means. But, um, you know, she, she hopped off this aeroplane wearing our jeans and uh, everything went, went mad. It was like... Uh, media right the way across the world were talking about this unknown denim brand from Australia that Meghan Markle had been um, wearing this particular day. But she kept wearing them. And I've been told that she's worn the, she wore them about six times across that tour, um, which was, I guess she was making a couple of statements there. She was wearing the same pair um, as far as I know. And uh, so she was saying, hey, you can wear your, same, your clothing more than once. Um, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but cool, you yeah, know. Really yeah, really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, wearing our product meant that it was, it was um, highlighted to the world. And having that highlighted to the world meant that it changed everything. Because what we saw was we were seeing this mega Markle headline getting people's attention. And then they would write this feature article about our brand. Um, and so it tied her to our brand. She was obviously very considered about who whose brands she will support, I imagine. Um, but for us, what it meant was that the game completely changed. We'd only just launched with uh, David Jones in Australia and we had launched in Canada with Harry Rosens and Holt Renfrew. So, you know, some of the best retailers in the world. Um, and then she hops off a plane wearing that. So we already had this little bit of traction happening and then she just highlighted it. And so other retailers are going, okay, well, they're already stocked. They're already capable of these, of being able to sell at this level. Um, and now they've got this global exposure. Let's give them a go. And so we had the best department stores in the world contacting us. And, you know, we've got such exciting things in the pipeline happening with our brand at the moment as a result of Mega Markle highlighting our brand to the world. I mean, things like Leonardo DiCaprio, um, you know, he's he's backed our brand and worn it a number of times as well. Um, and these things are happening happening organically. So we're not there seeding it. We're not there trying to make it happen. It's that you've got these incredible, um, you know, celebrities that stand for something. They're so solid about it. And when they see a brand that exists for that reason, they support it. And I guess that's one of the big differences with Outland Denim is that we started to solve a social and environmental problem and then attached fashion to it. Now, we're really passionate about denim in particular. I've always loved it. And if I was going to do anything in fashion, it would have to be denim. But um, we didn't start with a fashion brand and then attach a story. Um, and I think there's a very big difference. And I think that um, consumers see that difference. They feel that difference. And they know that if they um, get on board with this brand, they're a part of that journey and they're a part of the solution. And in fact, anyone who buys our jeans or sells our jeans or talks about even yourself and what you're doing here on this podcast, you are equally as important as... Um, anyone in my team is or I am in this process of trying to change this social and environmental problem, we all need to work as a community together to, to create the change. And I guess that's what we've experienced as a result of Meghan Markle highlighting it. Once success has happened, it seems kind of obvious that it was going to work. Well, you know, of course, it'd be the kind of thing that Leonardo DiCaprio and yeah. Meghan Markle would wear. But like, how did it feel for you? Because it must have been so much belief ahead of results and yeah. you know getting into those department stores and stuff is 
an extraordinary like achievement. But getting in the door, it still has to sell. And if it doesn't sell, yeah. you're, you're out. Gone. And then, yeah. you know, you've yeah. just all you've done is got yourself an expensive order you have to buy back. <laughs> yes. So exactly. like even even a win is never necessarily uh, yeah. your yeah. home, you know. Yeah. And so how did it feel to actually get that kind of, um, I, I, I guess, um, recognition of, of the work that you'd been doing uh, before that? Oh, it was it was extremely overwhelming. Um, I've never been one that's really known much about celebrity culture and who they are or anything like that. And so I had to I had to learn quite quickly of um, who's who and often, you know, I, I'm still very uneducated on it. But to see the influence that these celebrities have gave me a real appreciation for what their roles really are um, and a better understanding. And I think we can be quite judgmental. I certainly can. And I certainly those that are probably rub shoulders within the um we could all be a little judgmental of a celebrity lifestyle and culture, but having witnessed what power they carry um, and the and the direct impact on um, you know a mission like ours is, I have all the respect for these guys and what they're able to do and using their their celebrity status for good. And so for us, you know, one of the most exciting things, um, which felt like you know one of your ultimate wins, is that we were able to employ forty six new women as a result of Meghan Markle wearing the product and. You know that that is a um, you know insane number of uh, or level of impact that you can have just from wearing a, a product um, and highlighting it to the world. So we would um, now come from a place of you know we we realise that that endorsement is important, but it needs to be the right endorsement, and we want, don't want to go and pay major celebrities to you know, uh, put up a facade as that they care about it. We want the right ones. We want people that really care about it. You know, we've just um, uh, aligned with Isabel Lucas in uh, Australia for our latest, latest um, alchemy collection for fall 19. And, you know, she cares. She's somebody that cares about it. And so it's it's finding the right alignments for us and then working together as a, as a team to be able to create this change and have this impact. And um, we're, we're now getting these kinds of wins. And I guess... When you're a visionary, um, you're kind of always got your eyes set on the vision. And so it's very hard to celebrate the little wins. Um, and, you know, that's one of my big short shortcomings is actually celebrating the wins because as soon as we get it, I'm not looking at it anymore. I'm looking at the, the next thing. And so it's an important lesson, I think, to learn is to be able to stop and pause and celebrate and take that in and then move on, you know, um, again. But it's it's not something I'm good at. You could speak to my team about that and they probably think there's a bit of growing for me to do there. In terms of getting that message wider as well, you know, one way is that celebrity thing and then also things like the collaboration with Karen Walker who was also worn uh, a wee bit by yeah. uh, the, the Duchess of Sussex on, on her visit as well. And I know those things take years. Like mm. that, They're a long process to get going and stuff as well. So yeah, like how important is it to kind of like be working on these things to then be using retail channels and other people to... To, to spread that story and, and get those clothes on people. Well, for us as a as a still a very small and relatively unknown brand, it's very important to have the right alignments. And so um, this collaboration with Karen Walker is is such a massive honour for us. I mean, it's a it's a game changer because it's what she does is she gives us credibility. Um, she elevates our status. She elevates our profile and. Um, we wouldn't be able to do that without the the likes of supporting you know brands like Karen Walker and um, and her team. And so it also, I mean, there's been some incredible um, outcomes that we didn't expect in this collaboration as well. So having Karen's team uh, or Karen de- design this beautiful 
new collection. Uh, and then for us to go in and produce that um, meant that we were learning new skills that, that we had never worked on before. And it meant that it was a way more technical um, garment than we'd ever produced. And so for our staff, this, this has a, a really quite a profound impact. When you're trying to create um, independent workers and you can skill them with this kind of, um, I guess, technical ability that, that they've now had to learn as a result of producing this collection, it means that they're way more um, able to go and work elsewhere should the need ever be there. So uh, it's not just about marketing and the front, it's, it's about what goes on behind. And I think that's something I've enjoyed about this process and working with Karen um, and her team is that uh, it very much is about having impact for them as well. And so I've only ever felt that they've really wanted to back and be a part of this, um, this journey of helping people and, and producing more responsibly as far as the planet's concerned as well. So it's just the right collaboration for us. This is our first collaboration. And, um, you know, I've just come back from spending time in New York. And as I was meeting with media and talking about this collaboration, everybody's eyebrows raised. And it's kind of like, oh, wow, Kara Walker's doing a collaboration with you guys. That's, that's quite a feat, you know. And it was, you know, for me, quite a, um, quite a moment just to sit back and go, wow, like, yeah, like how, how does that happen? Like that's, that's crazy, you know, that we're getting to do this, this partnership in this, in this collaboration. How do they happen? Like, do, yeah. do, do you get in touch with them? Do they get in touch with you? How does that kind of thing kick off? Well, I think, I mean, it's a small industry. When you're, you know, um, Karen Walker, New Zealand and Outland Denim, Australia. And so um, we're very, I guess, connected through industry. And um, I, I think, you know, it was all brought to the attention of Karen and what's happening with the brand. And I think she would have done her due diligence on us and watched us for a little while before opening the conversation. But I remember flying over here to meet with, uh, with uh, Karen and her team and just talk about the potential of this. And I remember just leaving with my brand manager, who's also a Kiwi, uh, and flying back to Australia, just we're both so excited, like, oh, my gosh, like, imagine if this actually happens. But at the time, you think it's still a long shot. You know, you don't want to get too excited because these things often just fizzle. Um, but, you know, credit to, to Karen and her team. It certainly did, and it just built on, um, you know, and – I guess this vision of being able to create something beautiful together and through these pieces. And, um, you know, if you look at the collection, you'll just see so much beauty in it and so, so much handwork in these, in these pieces that, that our staff have done that just, I'm so proud of to see the, the skill level, but that's the, um, attention to detail and, and, um, how you can bring this incredible design to life through producing it in the most, um, meaningful way possible. Having this life in Cambodia and having, you know, built a factory and built things up and, and you know, because a lot of people go and they, they find a kind of a factory with an ethical story or whatever, but actually to actually build it out must involve a lot of time and a lot of, um, uh, you, you know, a lot of travel and, and the like, like, but also kind of it must be interesting for your family and your friends to have exposure to this other world. Yeah. Um, man, it's, um, it's, it's been the most um, amazing challenging, hard, you know, experience of my life. And, you know, the, the initial six years of trying to build this and having this vision that I just believe that we can change something. And it was very hard to get people to understand, obviously your closest supporters, you know, your family, you know, your parents and your siblings and wife and all that, you know, closest friends, um, they all back you and believe in you. But getting anybody else to back you and believe in you is quite challenging. And it's not that we haven't had them. We've had such an amazing network of people who have, um, 
But to get through the process to where we're having this kind of success that we're experiencing now, um, I guess is testament to that deep-rooted vision that um, that we need to be able to achieve these 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 goals, and that's driven out of I guess compassion because there's something that's not right, and we want to we want to fix that and and see that it's right. But um, I guess it's also proving to the wider community that this is it is possible to produce responsibly. It is possible to start something and do it differently. I mean, we started with no experience in fashion. I had no clue. Um, we, we set up on Tambury Mountain, which is in the Gold Coast hinterland. It is certainly not a fashion hub. Um, and we've worked from this place of not knowing how it should be done, but just trying to work it out. And I think that's been to our advantage. It, it's meant that we've been able to um, create and do things differently. We haven't been scared off by how big the challenge really is. I didn't realize denim was the most competitive field within fashion. I didn't realize it was the hardest garment within fashion to make. Um, but we've been able to overcome these things and get cut through because we're probably just so ignorant as to what it was that we were actually doing that we naively went into these situations and as a result, we've had some incredible success. And still just getting started. I mean, so much work behind the background, but as a brand, hitting the consciousness, landing these accounts, being able to have the impact on the workers' lives and, and, and actually get to a scale where you can demand fabric traceability and stuff which is you know a scale kind of factor but yeah so so just kind of getting started in a way as well like what will be success for you in this project what's the what's the kind of end goal for you what's the end goal yeah i don't know if there is um the end goal is how many people can we employ how many people can we change industry at the end of the day when industry changes when i see every brand um going about their their operations in a way that is um, 100% against and you know and are proactive against stopping any exploitation in the supply chain. Um, that's I'd say when we've won. Um, when it's not a marketing angle to talk about sustainability, that's when we've won. Um, but there's so many industries, and for me, it's about creating you know this I guess this this movement or being a part of creating this movement. There's so many people that are that are on this journey and trying to have this impact. And I think we have to work together collaboratively to, to see the um, impact that we all desire to see. And, man, we, we employ, you know, 100 staff in Cambodia and we've got 10 in Australia and um, that's certainly nowhere near where <laughs> my eyes are set. You know, I want to see this opportunity for, yeah, as many people as possible. Ah, that's so cool. Hey, thank you so much for coming and joining us with the story today. That's James Bartle of Outland Dinner. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. Ah, thank you so much to Alice Wibbledell for producing, and thank you very much for having us along and listening. If you are a fan and follower of the spin-off, make sure you check out the spin-off members, uh, a program where you're able to get behind and support and choose and shape the investigative journalism that the spin-off provides. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? 
With over 300 kilometers of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.